Happy generic festive holiday season greetings, Paul. How are you this winter solstice? Happy non-denominational winter festival greetings of your choice, Ed. I'm, I'm marvellous, thank you. Here in Birmingham, it's been snowing constantly for six weeks and we're now under eight foot of snow and there'll never be another football match again. Or so you would uh, have, so Chelsea would have us believe. Well, yes, Chelsea, Chelsea, the famous Birmingham side that they are. Oh, yeah, but they're, they're scared. That, that's the, the only excuse that I can think of, Ed. Me too. Me too. I just, I, I, it just made, it made no sense. I looked at all the pictures on the uh, Sunday afternoon. The roads were clear. On the Saturday afternoon, uh, two hours after they called it off, the pitch was spotless, and there was like a light dusting of snow outside the ground. I mean, in all seriousness, is there any cause for? serious complaint by United over the way that Chelsea behaved. To what extent was it Chelsea's call to call off the game? Well, apparently it isn't. So in the rules, it's apparently the police is called. But, uh, you know, I'm absolutely sure they work with the local club to decide what's what's on and what's not. It was just the... the the really early way in, in which they made that decision, you know, unnecessarily early. It's not like their fans were having to travel several hundred miles to get to the game. And uh, United supporters wouldn't have set off until the morning of the game. And they called it off at lunchtime on Saturday with the game you know, more than a day away. And it just, seemed, it just seemed really, really strange. And I said on the site, what was it about Chelsea's dire form and injuries to key players that, that made them so scared? I mean, it's, uh, it had to be, right? I mean, f- funnily enough, United didn't make a fuss, and, that, and now we know why. Flu was sweeping the camp for the second time this season, and a whole bunch of players would have been out anyway. So, um, which, of course, no one knew about at the time, because Ferguson is notoriously uh, short with the truth when it comes to injuries and illness. Uh, so, you know, in the end, I'm not say, I wouldn't say it suited us. It certainly suited Chelsea, but Ferguson will definitely be glad that he has his players back this weekend. So, with no football having been played, um, and even though it's uh, Christmas this weekend, not New Year's, which is next weekend, we thought we would look back at 2010 this week and uh, kind of try and work out what kind of a year it's been for United. And I think it's pretty clear that it's been mixed, hasn't it? There's definitely been some highs, but there's also been some pretty significant lows. There's been quite a lot of lows this season. I mean, if we just take the, the major trophies, there was the high of the Carling Cup. I mean, if that's a high, I mean, uh, all of a sudden everyone got very excited about the, the Mickey Mouse Cup that we used to make fun of Liverpool for being desperate to win. And and uh, I guess because I think deep down, most supporters kind of knew that it was our best shot of silverware last season. Then came the end of season disappointments, the, the injury to Rooney in March and the complete decimation of our form and key loss to Chelsea by Munich in the Champions League and, and in the end it was a season that was just like kind of almost and, and it didn't quite feel right that we were making excuses about the Bayern Munich game and, and although over two legs objectively you could say United probably just edged it in, in, in real truth there's no way United were, was the best side in Europe last season and we weren't the best side in the Premier League either and that kind of summed up the football I think yeah absolutely um, and then in the summer having clearly not been the best side in Europe or the Premier League, there was a hope that there would be some significant transfer spend 
and nothing really came to pass with the exception of a signing that we all thought was one for the future, a couple of signings that we thought were one for the future. Uh, Chris Smalling and Chicharito both arrived and and actually they've both been somewhat bright sparks because whilst there's definitely a lot of development still to come, they they both look like potentially the real deal on the pitch. Yeah, well of course the Smalling transfer was sealed almost a year ago now and and, uh, Chicharito was announced in April. So really the only significant transfer spending was was fairly late in August and that was that was uh, the really really strange signing that was Bebe and it still remains a very strange signing I think. But Smalling and Hernandez, yeah, I think there's there's an awful lot of promise there. Still promise. I mean Hernandez has scored quite a few goals, but we we're not going to see him in the biggest games, are we? And I think uh, Berbatov just lies ahead of him still and and there's just some development in terms of understanding the game and and uh, offering more in the game, but clearly loads of enthusiasm, bags of pace, and the, the ability to finish, and uh, I think he'll be a good asset for United. Uh, so they were positive, but the, yeah, the summer transfer, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was just so blindingly obvious, and it still is, of course, that United was missing a, a, a central midfielder, and games are won and lost in midfield. I mean, there's, you know, the World Cup taught us nothing if not games are won and lost in midfield, and, and United felt desperately short at the end of last season, and it wasn't addressed, and we had all those excuses about building for the future, we're all about youth at this club, and you know, there's just no value in the market, and they, they were all proven to be utter nonsense when Tottenham went out and signed Raphael van der Vaart, who's been absolutely stunning for... £8 million, which of course is value in the market. And then of course the absolutely brilliant Meza Ozil went to Real Madrid for about £8 million as well, or you know, 12 and a bit million euros or whatever it was, 12.4 I think, and uh, has been sensational uh, in Spain. And uh, it just kind of felt that there definitely was value for the mar- in the market. And, and actually perhaps the truth was Ferguson was given a certain amount of money to spend and chose to spread it rather than by one top quality player and and it's affected us this season of course and uh, I guess one of my other lows this season is the amount of draws we've had away from home and I think a lot of that's a direct consequence of of not investing during the summer yeah absolutely you touched on it there it's got to be probably number two in the shocking Manchester United stories of 2010 the signing of a completely unknown Portuguese winger or is he a striker Um, Uh, from who well from the Portuguese Premier Division but who had three weeks previously been playing in the Portuguese third tier Uh, a young man by the name of Bebe yeah I couldn't possibly tell you what his full name is it's uh it's it's lengthy Tiago something to something Corriere to something I think yeah Bebe is a suitably short nickname yeah just really 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 odd still I mean maybe maybe he'll come good but He's so unbelievably raw. And actually, Ferguson, I, I think, has not done him any favours, really, playing him out on the wing. And, and he had the sort of one Portuguese under-21 game before he actually played for United, where he played up front on his own. He didn't look great. And then they put him sort of wide right in a three, and he did look great. And I think, actually, where he's played for United, where he's sort of been sort of been wide right, but as an attacking wide right, he's done well when he's had to play as a, as a midfielder where he has defensive duties and it's a lot more about his positional sense. He seems to have struggled on thinking the game at West Ham when he was truly dire. Just on the technical side, yes. And that applies hot and cold. Sometimes he's great with his feet. Sometimes it just all goes completely wrong. But on the tactical side as well, and that was pretty awful. And 
eight and a bit million because you have to include all the agents fees and it went down as 8.3 something million in the accounts which doesn't add up in terms of anything that was ever announced by anyone but you know they, they, yeah, that, that's what it was just doesn't feel like good value for money does it and, and uh, it might be a long time before we work out whether that one made any sense or not that what are the, the just the psychology of that transfer is absolutely fascinating to me the the sheer kind of well we've talked about it before this season in fact but but the sheer gambler in sir alex ferguson it's like a right i'm all in i'm definitely i'm gonna bet eight million pounds on this massive long shot and see if it comes yeah in. there's a couple of um agents on twitter aren't they and they they Got a bit of insight about how Ferguson works from them, and and one of them said uh, he he has no structure or process for buying players. And some some clubs, say Lyon, uh, have a very clear structure. They have a committee of five people, in, including Jean-Michel Aulas, the, the the president and the manager and a director of football and a couple of other people. And they will watch a player like 15 times between them before they make a decision. They'll do all their due diligence. And, and sometimes United do that kind of depth. They do. They check on the family. They check on the player's personality and what he likes to get up to, his marriage situation. And they watch a player you know, dozens of times. And actually, in terms of looking at goalkeepers, they've been doing this. They've had a lot of notice. But with Bebe, on zero evidence, United not having seen him the... Chief Scout not having seen him, uh, I guess Carlos Quiroz having seen him can't have been more than any uh, half a dozen times, and the the local the local guy uh, as well, and they just took a punt, and that's what Ferguson said. He admitted it's just a punt, and um, it's it's yeah, it's still it's still really really odd given given how tight the money situation seems to have been uh, to to do it that way. It, it didn't it didn't tally very well with everything that Ferguson was telling us. About uh, value in the money. Money, value in the market. We should say, for in the interest of full disclosure, we're recording this at like 4.30 in the morning on Christmas Eve. Okay, it's not actually 4.30 in the morning, it just feels like. Yeah, we're, we're excitedly waiting for Santa to climb into that dark passage and empty his sacks. When you say Santa, of course, you mean non-denominational Christmas figure of your choosing. I mean, sorry, seasonal figure of your choosing. Well, well yeah, I... Santa's not even a Christmas figure, is he? He's a Coca-Cola figure, surely. <laughs> That's right, copyright. Coca-Cola. Actually, if, if you're in, if you're interested in brand Santa, there's a a brilliant thing going around uh, at the moment called Santa's Brand Book. Just uh, Google it, and uh, you'll uh, you'll have a laugh uh, about that one. But but back. I'm always I'm always reluctant to Google things based on your recommendation, Ed. <laughs> danger danger often lies in that direction. What remember things cannot be unseen. <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, one one of the real positives of of the the past year, of course, has been uh, the resurgence in Nani, who at the turn of the year looked looked like he was going out. It, it really looked like it, it was the end of his time, or uh, certainly could be. Ferguson was so furious with him he basically dropped him for a month and uh and uh, we now know that he he was spending this time telling nani that he had to work harder on his defensive game that he had to put in more effort that he had to focus and and all of those things seem to have come to pass and we had that um so sort of resurgence in form in the very early part of the year and then uh, i guess the denouement of his rebirth uh, the brilliant performance against arsenal yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think 
there was a point in the year where he was clearly our best player and I think he's kind of dipped off a little bit again since then uh, well perhaps not our best player but but our second best player after Rooney um he he's he's not been exactly consistent throughout 2010 but an awful lot more consistent than he was in 2009 yeah I, absolutely yeah he he still isn't he's not He's not the finished product. Well, if he is the finished product, it's it's you know arguably not the finished product we paid seventeen million pounds for. So, but on his day, he can be absolutely brilliant. I just I just think of some goals this season already, and and of course the stats show a, an improvement at least in end product. Nine goals and eleven assists this season. That's better than he's ever done at United. And we're halfway through the season, and and um, so that's positive. And, and I'm just thinking of the way he kind of turns and brings players into play or goes direct to goal and can score some stunning goals. And, and he did that very, very early in his United career. You remember he turned and scored a long ranger against Tottenham at Old Trafford and a stunning goal. And, and it just happened so infrequently since then. And, uh, I, you know, I don't... It's chicken and egg, of course. He didn't get runs of games because of his lack of consistency or was he... Did he not have any consistency because of his lack of runs of games? But either way, he just had too many frustrating performances when he tried to showboat and there wouldn't be the end product or there just wasn't anything at all or he'd drift out of games and, and just not uh, fulfill on the, the promise we thought he had. But but yeah, great turnaround. We, we, want, we need to, him to kick on from here. We need to do it and him to do it in the biggest games consistently. And you know, he turned that Arsenal game for sure. Can he do it in the quarterfinal of the Champions League and beyond? And can he show the, the right kind of consistency? And I, I think you're right, actually. I think in the last couple of months, there have been a couple of stunning performances, but mainly it's been you know, pretty good, pretty good. And he is, he is important to United because he's our major creative out, out, uh, outlet, and especially with, with Rooney having been injured and in such poor form and all the stuff that's gone on with him this year. Uh, so there's more to come from Nani, but def- a definite improvement in 2010 on 29 and earlier. One one thing that I would definitely say about his 2010 performances is, is how much work he's put in defensively because he really tracks back. He's he's not. I mean, uh, Cristiano really did have a bit of a problem with tracking back. I think. Yeah, Cristiano's ego wouldn't allow it. <laughs> but but Nani, um, who I think does have a pretty spectacular little ego all of his own. Um, there's allegations that he has a marble statue of himself in his home. But but he tracks back like a like a maniac. You know he really does. And and he's putting a couple of key tackles around the edge of his own area. And and you know been involved at the start of counter attacking moves as well as towards the end of them. He has been around the edge of the box, and that's incredibly valuable in terms of supporting the fullbacks, especially when he plays on the right, because Raphael definitely still needs a bit of a you know a bit of extra cover just just because he's so young even though he's he's come on leaps and bounds in fact I don't think we included that on the rundown of the highs of 2010 but but Rafa's improvement would be uh, definitely one of one of my uh, my highlights of 2010 but yeah and it's also incredibly valuable when when a when a, a player with that pace tracks back because of what an incredibly valuable outlet it is because the defenders can make short passes, which can lead to incredibly productive possessions. Yeah. Because the the player can run with the ball. I mean, his passing is definitely getting better and better, Nanny's. And, uh, and yeah, he just, as you say, he's an absolutely key part of the side now. Nothing wrong with having marble statues here in Rankast, Miraclad Studios. We love a bit of statue. Yeah, that's true. There's a, there's a statue of the two of us talking into microphones. I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful to behold. 
that, that's Nani. Uh, a couple of real negatives, of course. Uh, Owen Hargreaves still injured. Of course, we could be recording this in 20-whatever. Just put a number on it. He's been injured for so long, I barely remember him actually joining the club. Yeah. Um, let's hope that the 2011 wrap-up show talks about the fantastic contribution to Manchester United that Owen Hargreaves has made. Yeah, it's very unlikely, and there's not a chance he's getting a new contract. And uh, I, I guess if he if he uh, did the decent thing and just threw himself off the nearest tall building, then we we, we could talk about that now. Oh. Uh, that's cruel. That's cruel. That's cruel. Yeah, I just I feel sorry for him. Don't you? I mean, it's he's fr- it's frustrating. It's not his fault. He's worked really hard. It's not his fault. It was an awful lot of money to bring to United, or that he's picking up uh, more money per week than many people earn in a year for doing absolutely nothing. But, yeah, he's made zero contribution to United in 2010. Uh, Well, what, 37 seconds, was it, away at Sunderland and about five minutes at home earlier this season before being crocked again. And, uh, of course, we won't see him in the United side this season. Oh, sorry, this year. Uh, Maybe this season. Who who knows? Sorry. You know, Freudian slip there. But, yeah, a a real shame for him and for the club. And um, Michael Owen has hardly played at all, has he? Uh, did he play at the beginning of 2010? I can barely remember. Yeah, he, he played a little bit. Well, of course, he scored uh, scored the goal in the Carling Cup final against Aston Villa uh, before getting injured. And um, and it was all the pitch, of course, nothing to do with uh, Owen's horrendous injury record, uh, which doesn't exist in brand book Owen. And uh, and then he's been injured again since October. He says he's uh, been uh, fit, fit effectively for the last three weeks, uh, but he's trying to build up his match fitness and he can't get in the squad at the moment. Michael Owen signed on a free transfer, fairly high wages, but not ridiculous for modern football. Uh, worth every penny, basically, because that... City game uh, where we beat them in the last minute of super extra Fergie time. Yes, of course, of course, that was in 2009, but I'll let it go. But I'm just saying it justifies Michael Owen's uh, inclusion as a Manchester United player. Yes, it just about justifies his existence and his his right to live, I'd say. Otherwise, it, it was minimal. Um, and then, of course, the, the big, big negative of the year, I suppose, and his boony. Um, who started the year in absolutely stunning form I, I, sorry to use the football cliche but unplayable and it's it's not been very often in uh, my time many many years watching United that I've seen a player who was truly unplayable but in the first three months of the year before the injury against Bayern Munich Rooney was uh, was pretty much that and uh, re- you know remarkable remarkable end product from a, a player we've always known that had you know a flash of genius Ever since he, uh, ever since he, he scored that goal as a 16-year-old, earning 40 quid a week or whatever it was for Everton, all those years ago. And um, uh, but some genuine end product, uh, the goals, the goal of game, effectively he was scoring together with some really brilliant performances, right as the pivot of United's attack, and uh, that had rarely been the case uh, since. And then, of course, the the injury, the disaster that was his World Cup, the prostitutes, the drinking, the smoking, and everything else that has gone with it. Yeah, and the kissing the badge on your chest and handing in a transfer request behaviour. Carlos Tevez is coming from a lot for a lot of stick from Manchester United fans and there's been a lot of schadenfreude over the last few weeks as he's said he wants to leave City and then turned round and said no actually I love the club and I'm staying. He loves the uh, he loves the million pound golden handcuffs they've given him or whatever it is or probably significantly more than that yeah. I mean the, the joke of it all is that Wayne Rooney is as bad as any of them and 
the fickleness and quickness to forget of football fans never ceases to amaze me. And, yeah. I, it, you know, it, it's it's only been, what, eight weeks or something since all this went down, maybe 12 weeks. But it's all, it's all like, completely forgotten. There's, there's hardly any talk about it. The, the next big stories come along in, in Tevez in terms of the, the national media's attention. Uh, but, but to me, it's like, it's just, it was an absolutely pathetic incident and... Everything about it shows up football's massive levels of disingenuousness and, you know, fundamental, the fundamental dissonance at the heart of football between community and history and uh, the support of the club versus the incredible capitalist institutions that these, these, these football clubs are nowadays. Yeah, Rio Ferdinand put on, um, or at Rio35, uh, asked a question on Twitter. He was, uh, he was asking, why, uh, why fans and players don't seem to be close anymore? I, 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 I don't know, maybe he was just starting to debate, debate. It felt like even asking the question showed up how out of touch he was. And if he's a mirror for football. And, I mean, he's better. He actually uses Twitter to engage with people. Yeah, and I, 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 I will defend him. It's not, I'm not knocking Rio Ferdinand. I just think, um, and the question, of course, the answer came back on money. And... And it is a it is a thing that distances uh, players from from the fans because in the past the players were earning you know, eight pounds a week and they were drinking the local and they lived in digs with shared accommodation uh, because they had to because actually they weren't earning so much money that they could live this life of luxury certainly the pre-maximum wage being lifted in 1960 and 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 today they, they couldn't be further from the average fan and the average fan who's being priced out of games and, and can't actually go and see his heroes or erstwhile heroes and and uh, they're living in giant prestwich houses or out in Alderley edge and and spending fifty thousand pounds on a night out with Cristal champagne and dressing ridiculously and buying 15 Ferraris and and at the same time showing absolutely no loyalty and, and just saying, well, it's the market, I, I'll go to wherever pays me the most. Well, not actually literally saying that because that would be honest, of course. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing because there's this this incredibly thin and transparent facade that it is still about the fans and you know all that kind of stuff because of course there is an aspect which to which it still is about the fans because I'm sure that many footballers get as much value like personal enhancement from the adulation as they do from the money because adulation is an incredibly powerful drug obviously you know just as just as opulent wealth is an incredibly seductive thing um being idolized by you know 70,000 people every week uh, has got to be a very you know obviously i'm only speculating because that's somewhat outside of the realm of my personal experience but you know it's, it's, it's got to be an incredibly seductive thing hasn't it having spoken to quite a number of footballers over the years and i i just I, i'm a bit more cynical than you about this one i, I think the vast majority of them just see it as a day job. You know, I just think they think it is a job. That's it. We like doing it. Some of them recognise that they're lucky to do it. A lot of them have this massive sense of entitlement. And uh, I know that's a, a very cynical and sad view, but it just feels like that's the case uh, a lot of the time. There's nothing uncynical about what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not saying it's some sort of pure and and wonderful thing. I'm just. I'm just saying. And and actually, it's 
it's entirely transferable. It's got no attachment to the particular club that you're playing at because the next week you go to another club and they'll idolise you too. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's that, that that's. I'm not saying it's it's pure. I'm just saying it's a it's a factor that kind of you know having your name chanted by seventy thousand people. You know, highlights of games of the year. Um, I, I, I guess uh, there, there should be some favourites. Uh, one I'll, I'll say for you, just to get in there first, Dimitar Berbatov's hat-trick against Liverpool. That, that's got to be a highlight for you, hasn't it? That's not exactly what were the words that were going to come out of my mouth next. I don't know why you'd think it was. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, yeah, that's... that's uh, Berbatov's hat-trick against Liverpool and his five, count them, five goals against Blackburn Rovers have been my two uh, favourite games of the season, un- unquestionably, yeah. I also thought United's performance uh, against Milan at home, the 4-0, was, was one of our best. And, of course, uh, once again uh, at the Emirates, you know, it was kind of deja vu of uh, let's uh, watch United destroy Arsenal on the break. Uh, and uh, that was another one of my high- highlights. The 4-0 against Milan had my personal emotional highlight of the year, talking of genuine connection between fans and players and adulation. David Beckham's return to Old Trafford and his wonderful PR move of uh, picking up the green and gold scarf, which I'm going to be uncynical about and say, whilst he was no doubt aware of the PR of it, he absolutely didn't have to do it. He was in the middle of receiving vast amounts of adulation and uh, an absolutely kind of hard heartwarming reception and return and you know it it was obviously clearly a figure who was very highly regarded by the United faithful so it was a real kind of it was a real extra that he he bent down and picked up that green and gold yeah and and right right in the middle of the fervent anti-glazer protest of course in in sort of uh, late February that was and and the, uh, the the bond document had come out in January, and they'd issued the bond, and because you know, everyone was extremely angry about that, and the green and gold scarves were flying off the flying off the stalls on uh, on United Road, and and uh, yeah, it, a superb move by Beckham. It, it wasn't calculated. I, I don't think I'm not going to say there's uh, someone in the crowd ready to throw it for him, <laughs> <like that. laughs> but uh, some might say that. Uh, but uh, let, let's just uh, let, let's be positive and say it was uh, just a spur of the moment thing and um, and a, a brilliant a brilliant brilliant moment. Of course, there's been speculation recently that Beckham might return on a on a loan deal. Ferguson kind of dismissed that one yesterday. He said with his age, I don't think David should come home. And and uh, it's a shame. I, I kind of like it to happen, not from a footballing point of view because I think he's shot, but just from a, wouldn't it be nice just to see him in the red shirt once more, just one more time? Yeah, I think we there'll be some sort of testimonial. I'm sure because I'm sure we'll see him in a, in a United shirt, even if it's not in a competitive fixture. What is a real shame is that they don't have special teams in proper football, because that would be absolutely amazing if you were just allowed to bring Beckham on whenever you got a set piece. He, you, you, when he's 60, yeah, exactly, he, can, exactly. he hits the ball so clean that you could bring him on when he was 60 and he'd still put in a brilliant free kick, yeah. One of our main lowlights of 2010 has been our complete inability to do anything from corners. Uh, Nanny's corner taking is not good. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't actually tell you how many we've got this season from corners. A couple, is it? I, I tried just off the top of my head. Uh, but there was, there was one in like 347 games or something before that, wasn't there? Yeah. And, and I, guess, I think that probably is a lot down to Nanny's corner taking. And, and uh, actually, I don't think it's uh, Ryan Giggs' strong point when he when he plays either um, with his famously narrow feet it must be very hard getting that ball over there has Ryan Giggs and got famous how have I never heard this before 
Have you? You never? Yeah, this is part of um, when he was younger. He got all those hamstring injuries. It was because uh, his feet are so narrow, and had to do all sorts of weird things, like you know, special shoes, obviously, and uh, but also um, he, he's had to change his car. He's only got an automatic because actually the pressing the clutch down hurts his poor hamstring <laughs> diddums. Oh, <laughs> and uh, other special adaptations. I think his bed's different, and all sorts of weird stuff to try and stop him getting these hamstring injuries. Wow, Ryan Giggs isn't. A- allowed to drive a proper car he has to drive an automatic something like that yeah yeah i mean that's uh this he's is extraordinary got very narrow feet narrow feet and they've done an awful lot of stuff over the years to try and correct well they've they've done a they've done a great job because he's played a lot of games in his career and he's still going so yeah it, it, it it's been a weird old 2010 um a uh, um has been in and out of uh form and favor through, throughout that time uh never out of favor in my heart of course um but just some some absolutely wonderful performances and some terrible performances games where he's really been culpable and sort of representative of everything that's wrong with manchester united and games where he's been an integral part of making us look like a really 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 good side again uh the blackburn game last season is an example of he ended up like just looking terribly petulant and uh, frustrated and taking out on other players and not not contributing nearly what he should and he, he got pretty soundly booed by our travelling support in that game but then but then yeah the hat-trick against Liverpool featuring the goal of 2010 that stunning stunning second goal the overhead kick um, which which narrowly edges out my number two for goal of 2010 which is his third against Liverpool where he started it on the edge of his own box back heel to Patrice Evra, ball with the outside of his right foot for to cross 65 yards across the pitch and then sprinted, absolutely sprinted to keep up with the play. Okay, okay, ambled to keep up with the play. And... <laughs> it looks the same in slow motion as it does in real time. Yeah, yeah. ambled up the pitch to be on the, in the right place at the right time for a, for a fantastic team goal. Yes, that, and uh, long may that kind of thing continue, although in, in uh, reality I think we'll see this in bursts and and fallows from Berbatov because that's just who he is uh so i i guess we can end on a, a real positive um united top of the league top of the league at christmas oh man city comedy oh. comedy comedy man city <laughs> they they just it was all there for them on a plate dead easy just beat everton at home and uh you'll be top of the league at christmas for the first time in 81 years well the banner in the stretford end will say 82 years next year yes well it won't but yeah no i know uh, <laughs> yeah I, that was amazing city blowing that really I, I, given they played 10 men for more than half an hour of the one of the most ridiculous red cards i've ever seen now i don't mean ridiculous in terms of the the refereeing decision i just mean the stupidity of the player utter stupidity victor anichebi but um if you haven't seen that he uh he he got a first yellow card for um a a foul which was you know just a bit hit and miss and then uh then he took out a player about 12 seconds later for absolutely no reason and uh and uh it was inevitable that he'd get a red card and uh I think even David Moyes knew he put his head in his hands and uh, the look on his face was was comedy indeed, but not not as funny as Manchester City blowing their chance to top the league. And uh, we, we can but enjoy what's going on at Manchester City until they do finally get it right. Uh, which I, I'm sure will happen at some point. I, I still think that'll happen. Um, one thing that we didn't, talking of ridiculously opulent Middle Eastern wealth, uh, what do you make of all this Qatar talk? 
Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of it. Uh, Anders Red's been doing some digging and found out that the Glazers issued themselves two shares with the uh, value of £249 million, which which kind of rules out um, them getting uh, money from a third-party investor like the Alfani Royal family out in Qatar. Um, although it seems genuine, the, their interest. I think they're, they're just probably waiting until uh, until the time is, is right to strike if, uh, if, uh, if we go by the, the premise that there's no smoke without some fire. But yeah, yeah the Glazer family, uh, basically they've, they've got capital from somewhere else. It's not down the back of their own sofa. It's, it's uh, a U.S financial institution of some kind has given them money at the group level so it'll be red football whatever it's called in nevada i forget it's uh, forget its name but it's the it's one of the ultimate parent companies of the parent company of the parent company of united and and so it means we'll probably actually never know exactly what's happened there because they don't have to declare it but in january we'll see for sure that uh, red football joint venture has, has gotten some money from somewhere and paid off these picks and uh, they've kind of created some capital from this not point no 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 two percent of united uh, for 249 million so yeah as for qatar who knows it, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon uh, we could be surprised of course um much like we were with qatar winning the world cup there's, there's certainly a determination there to uh, to uh, use football as a as a vehicle for promoting the country and uh, they, they uh, need to build for the time when their massive stocks of natural gas run out and uh, that's what they're doing through you know, promotion and tourism and, and football's a key vehicle. The slight Freudian slip there, probably somewhat accurate financially you described Qatar as having won the World Cup which uh, hasn't quite got to them naturalised that many Brazilians just yet right, well um, it could happen yeah <laughs> that I mean politically I would be extremely uncomfortable with the Qatari royal family owning Manchester United obviously yeah well it's an absolute um, an absolute monarchy there is there is no uh, democracy there's not even really the semblance of democracy they have a council they have a prime minister but he's just appointed and uh, obviously a, a, a pretty poor human rights record yeah feel free to Google Qatar human rights and uh, it's not a it's not a very pretty picture uh, as with so many other things that you recommend that people Google the fact that football is is making some sort of you know efforts to discuss homophobia and do something about homophobic bullying would mean that they're perhaps should be some fit and proper person's test in place to do with human rights and, and homophobic activity of, a you know, I mean, homosexuality is just illegal in Qatar. Yeah, how would John O'Shea cope? No, I don't, I, of course, I don't mean that, John, you're, you're happily married, that rumour was never true. Right. <laughs> hey, did you know, this is on an unrelated note, do you know that Lionel Blair is married? To his boyfriend? No, to a lady. No. <laughs> yeah. Lady, boy? S- no, just an actual lady. I was really surprised. So I've that. I've actually met Lionel Blair, and have you? I have met Lionel Blair, and I had a drink with him in first class on a you know a rank cast, no expense spared, <laughs> uh, flying back from LA to London uh, on uh, Virgin Atlantic, uh, probably about three years ago now. And uh, yeah, we had a, a a few of us had a drink with Lionel Blair at the bar in first class on Virgin Upper. What did you talk to Lionel Blair about? Uh, we we uh, tried to get him to do some tap dancing. <laughs> this was after about fifteen gin and tonics. Uh, <laughs> I just do some tap dancing, Lionel. <laughs> yeah, he he wouldn't. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just just kind of chatting while he was doing in LA, and I kind do you know of. Who he, do you know what team he supports? No idea. 
Right, okay. And so the key the key information was not uncovered. Um so I guess we've we've wrapped up twenty ten pretty nicely. I'm I'm looking forward to twenty eleven. Twenty eleven, which is gonna start with us winning the league. I'm uh, increasingly confident that the rest of the league are just too rubbish for us not to win the league. Well, I doubt it'll start with it, but we can certainly go a long way over the Christmas period. Three key games, and and uh, if we're, as Ferguson says, still top by January the 4th when uh, United entertain Liverpool in the FA Cup, that'll be a massive step towards winning the league come May. Let's hope we don't entertain them too well. Let's hope they entertain us with their comedy bad defending, and uh, we, we smash them. That's a, that's a fixture to look forward to. Of course, we need to end the show, Paul, on a, a mini preview of of a Boxing Day game against Sunderland, and then and then the trips to Birmingham and and West Bromwich Albion. So, I mean, Sunderland are in great form at the moment, aren't they? I think if we were going there, it would be much more question. I think our home form is so excellent, and and this this flu business. I mean, are we going to be able to play our proper real back five? Because because t- yeah, it seems seems like everyone's everyone's recovered. Uh, uh, Paul Scholes and John O'Shea have groin injuries, and uh, and um, Michael Owen is is not match fit, and uh, Owen Hargreaves is uh, you know at the glue farm being prepared for for termination, and Antonio Valencia still has his his ankle at right angles but aside from that um it looks like everyone is fit right so i mean assuming that that we play um, basically that's that's how i feel about every fixture at the moment as long as we're playing ferdinand vidic van der sar at the back i'm just not too worried about us losing because we just we just look a completely different team when they're when they're all playing together with you know that's that's and, and of course, uh, Vidic would have been one of those to have missed the uh, the Chelsea game with this uh, with this virus. Um, so, uh, and he'll he'll be back, and I'm sure we'll see uh, two up front, and uh, Berbatov will play uh, against Sunderland. And uh, no, Danny Welbeck, of course, who's been in such great form for Sunderland, he can't, he's not allowed to play against his uh, parent club under FA rules. Yeah, which is really like good news because because I think that they will really you know he's been a key part of why they've been so good which is which is just brilliant for us because he really does look like he, he you know potentially got the caliber to be a proper man united player yeah I, I i have to say i always thought he was very talented had some uh, wonderful feet and i just wasn't sure that he had the the kind of character and enough about him to become a manchester united player but yeah if he keeps progressing at this rate bring him back and michael Owen's out of contract in the summer and uh, he'll be a good asset next season and I think, you know, being at a club with Bent and Asmajan, there's, there's a lot of experience there and um, a lot of, you know, he could do a lot of learning from both of them because, you know, they're both very professional players, aren't they? You know, both had good, good careers putting in a lot of work for whatever club they've been at. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't always play up top. He, he often plays in a sort of front three, so he plays sort of on the right side of that. But, but he's, been, he's been really excellent and, uh, but, and performing against top sides as well. It's not like um, they've brought him on in the odd Carling Cup game. Uh, he's, uh, he's been performing uh, every week in the, in the Premier League. And, and then um, on to uh, games against, uh, I think we go to Birmingham City first on the 28th and then West Brom, is it? it they're talking of uh, teams managed by central defenders that used to play for Sir Alex Ferguson. We go to Birmingham City. Um, Alec McLeish is Birmingham City. 
Who are now a solid Premier League side. There was no real talk of Birmingham going down, is there? No, they're definitely not what they were last season. Uh, ben Foster is no Joe Hart. Perhaps Agent Foster will do us a favour and drop one in. They've had injuries to either Roger Johnson or Scott Dan, I can't remember which, um, who were such an excellent defensive partnership last season. And Zigic is taking a while to settle into playing for Birmingham City instead of Valencia, because I think the support he got of Valencia was of a slightly higher calibre. This is true, and, and uh, he's probably missing his buddies and the Harlem Globetrotters too, because he's about eight foot seven, isn't he? He's a big unit, no two ways about it. And they actually miss the uh, bustling product, out, lack of output, but still does something to opposition defenders' hard work of of uh, Chucho Benitez that that did did cause other teams problems last season, even if he didn't score very many goals. And and West Brom, uh, they play some nice football, I think. And uh, Roberto Di Matteo, I, I do like the I do like uh, their positive outlook. And of course, they they uh, went to Highbury and won, and they came to Old Trafford, and they should have got more out of that game than they actually did. I think. Uh, I think they're a proper proper side, West Brom, actually. And I think it's not inconceivable that in a couple of years they could be sort of you know challenging the fringes of the UEFA Cup. Um, positions if if they can maintain some of this uh, momentum a fantastic story on football focus uh, a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, about Odin Peter Odinwingi is it Peter is it Peter oh, I can't remember anyway yeah. Odin yeah Peter Odinwingi who was a player for Lokomotiv Moscow and when when West Brom signed him the Lokomotiv Moscow fans held up a massive banner with a picture of a banana on it saying thank you to West Bromwich for taking a black player off their hands which is like well done FIFA let's give them the World Cup shall we but the West Brom fans made up a banner of let's kick racism out of football on the left hand side and thank you Locomotive and loads of pictures of Odin Wingy in a West Brom shirt scoring goals for them so uh, you know a club with a fantastic history of uh, of bringing through black players at a time when, when no no clubs did that so yes of course under Big Ron who famously turned out to be a racist <laughs> ironically um... uh, ironically but uh, I, I thought actually um Odin Wingy's uh, attitude to to Russia winning the World Cup was uh, was enlightening too he wasn't angry about it he wasn't bitter he said I I hope uh, you know the festival of football goes to Russia and it, it educates some people and uh, I, I thought that was um that was very magnanimous of him given how how much abuse he took I I mean I I think he, he genuinely genuinely seems like a real class act Yes, on and on and off the pitch, he's uh, he's a very talented player too. Um, so yeah, West West Brom that uh, that is going to be a tough fixture, I think. I think Birmingham won't definitely won't beat us, but but we might somewhat struggle to break them down given our form away from home. But 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 equally, it's not inconceivable that we could completely turn them over. You know, uh, I I do think that's 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 a possibility. Uh, Sunderland at home, I'm going to say we're going to win three uh, one. Uh, Birmingham, I'm going to. Say we're going to win one nil. West Brom, I'm, I'm going to say, is going to be a draw. I think a, sco- a scoring draw of some kind. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I have a kind of positive feeling about this Christmas period. I, I think a lot of the teams we're playing have played a lot of games too, and some of them had them called off, you know. But, but um, United are fresh. I, I think, I think we'll beat Sunderland. I, I don't think it's going to be a tough game, uh, an easy game, sorry, by any by any measure. Uh, I think that might give us a bit of momentum. I think we might actually go through the Christmas period not only undefeated, but having won all three games, and that could put us in a very, very strong position come uh, come the 4th of January. 
Well, Ed, I sincerely hope you're right. We'll reconvene sometime next week to see how the festive season's going, to see if the mince pies have taken either of us out. I hope wherever you are, if you celebrate Christmas, that you have a really nice one, and that if you don't, you have a nice, perfectly ordinary weekend. And I, I can recommend, I can recommend Tesco's finest Corvosier mince pies with Waitrose mince pie flavoured ice cream. And that sounds a bit decadent after I was talking about uh, flying Virgin Upper a, a moment ago. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not sitting here at uh, 8.30 in the morning in my smoking jacket Oscar Wilde style. Uh, that's, um, but uh, yeah, that was a nice gift from the, the missus and uh, very tasty it was too. I, I can only imagine that you're wearing at least one monocle at this point, Ed, whilst eating your mince pie float. Waitrose! God, we don't have them round here, you know. Uh, Lidl's, Lidl's do a very good uh, mince pie as well. Yes. Actually, no, I, I lie. My, my mince pies are from Asda. Me- mechanically recovered. Yeah, fruit. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mechanically recovered currents. Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back sometime next week. Uh, have a lovely, lovely Christmas and uh, we'll, we'll see you uh, just after or just before the new year. of a Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know Where those streets are Listen and Children listen To hear Sleigh bells in the snow The snow Then I, I, I am dreaming Of a white Christmas Christmas card I write May your days, may your days, may your days Be merry and bright And may all your Christmases be white I'm dreaming of white Christmas Just like Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle.